Well, if you would, uh, turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16. And uh, as of this morning, we will have, in, in the course of our 10 Easter's together, now gone through every, uh, every gospel account of, of the resurrection. So that's, we've looked at other passages in the New Testament about the resurrection in previous Sundays, but as of today, we'll have looked at the gospel or the resurrection account in all the different gospels, and so that's kind of a neat thing as well. And if you, you'll notice that different gospel authors emphasize different things, and we've talked about how kind of all those things go together, and if you want to go online and look at our, our series in the Gospel of Luke, we, we talked about how the different gospel account stories go together and tell us this great story of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. But we're here in Mark this morning, if you're able to, if you would stand with me in honor of God as we read his word together. And I'm going to go ahead, I'll, I'll, begin, I'll begin in verse 42 of chapter 15 and kind of lead into what we see happening in Mark 16. And Jesus has just died on the cross, women, the women have been watching, and we come to verse 42. And when evening had come... Since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died, and summoning the centurion, he asked whether he was already dead. When he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud, and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud, and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Jesus saw where he was laid. Chapter 16. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome bought spices that they might go and anoint him. And very early on, the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. You may be seated. May God encourage us through the reading of his word this morning. And Father, we do ask your special grace on us today as we come to this, to this scripture, as we come seeking to understand you, to know you. Please cause us to love you more as a result of our time together this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Every week when I begin to, to study the passage for the, the coming Sunday, or to continue studying the, the passage for the coming study, there, there's a question that I ask as, as I study. And the question is, 
what does the church need from this text? What is it that the people that I, that, I'm, that I love, the people that I have the opportunity to preach to, what is it that this text is, is helping them know or to understand or, or to be? What is it that's in this text that will help our church? What is it that they, they need? What aspect of, of their, their fallen condition does this passage address? What, what is it that my church and I need that God is telling us in the, in the text? That's, that's the foundational question I ask as I approach the text each week. What, is, what does it say? You want to know what the text says, of course, but what is it that the church needs? It, it's a different question than what does the church want, right? That's, that's a question I ask Sunday afternoon. What does the church want from me? But that's, that's different. Uh, this question, what does the church need? What is it that, that people need that's found in this text. And I, and I imagine that if, that if today I were to just kind of go around and, and ask some of you, what, what do you need? I, I'd get a variety of answers, right? There's probably some things that even as we were singing, you were thinking about that, that you need. Or as, we, as you're sitting here, as you're praying, there's some, something weighing on your mind. Man, I, this, this is a need that I have. I, th- this needs to be addressed. Some of you might say, you know, I, very serious thing, I have this health concern. I've taken a test, and I'm not sure what the results are going to be, and so I'm, I need this, this health crisis to work out. I need this relationship that, I, that I'm in to, to be dealt with. I, I, I need my spouse to change. I, my spouse needs me to change. I need a relationship to be restored. I have a financial crisis, and, and this, I, I don't know how I'm going to get through the next month financially, much less the next year. I, I need this financial crisis to be resolved. Maybe some of the needs you have might be a little bit more frivolous. You know, I, I need a new outfit, or I, I, I need uh, to, to figure out how I'm going to get invited to this party this weekend. Maybe the needs are a little, little less severe, and yet... They consume our thoughts, right? My family and I did something really crazy. I I'm hesitant somewhat to say what we did this last week. Um, we're kind of new to this whole kid graduating high school thing. It's going to happen for us a year from now, and so we're trying to think through what does life after high school look like. And so we we visited some colleges. We visited Okay, we visited six colleges in seven days, and um, so you know what my kids need. They need a dad who just chills out a little bit more, but um, that's what we did. It's interesting to me what colleges think that my kid needs. You know, they, 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 uh, Six colleges all kind of said the same thing. Uh, here's, here's how much food you can eat, and here's how much unlimited ice cream you can have, and, and some of these are good. Like, here's how you can be safe on campus. Uh, here's how you can, uh, several schools mentioned a statue or some sort of object in the school that you could rub the toe of the statue and get a good grade on your test or something like that. Um, most of the schools, I'm not, I'm not kidding, most of the schools had a rock climbing wall, which, um, you know, I, I graduated a school that didn't have a rock climbing wall, um, so I don't know if I'm ill-prepared for life or not, but um, those are needs, right? Those are things that colleges think that my high school kid needs. What is the need that you perceive that you have this morning? What is the need 
that as we're looking at God's Word, what, what is the need that kind of has, has consumed your thoughts? And I'm not saying that some of the needs we have, that we think we have, aren't true needs or it's wrong to use the word need, but what I'm going to suggest to you this morning is the needs that we perceive are often not our, our truest need, our, our, our deepest need. The needs that we perceive that we have are often needs that God places in our lives to help us see our, our deeper and truer need. Our perceived needs are often not our truest need. And God always meets our truest need in His Son, Jesus Christ. That's what we're going to be thinking about together this morning as as we go through God's Word together. And so go ahead and and look at the text with me if you would. And and here's the first thing that I want us to talk about together, and it's this. I want to talk first about the needs we perceive. The needs that we perceive that we have. And and look here at, at the story with me. And Something kind of interesting takes place. You know, we'll go back into chapter 15, and, and Jesus has died. Remember the story of Good Friday? Jesus has died. And oftentimes, when I think about the Easter story, I think about Jesus dying on the cross, and then I think about Jesus rising from the dead, but I, I don't think about the stuff in between. And there's kind of a, a grotesque, a a, a real need that exists that you don't think about sometimes. And, and Mark uses the word here that the, the version that I read from earlier translates corpse. There, there's a corpse to deal with. Jesus has died, and now his body, his, his corpse, hangs on a cross. And, and what are you going to do with that? The disciples have fled. They're not going to deal with Jesus' dead body. The women don't have the ability to do so. And so what happens? The text tells us that this guy Joseph, who's part of the council, boldly, he takes courage and he, and he steps forward. Now, why do you take courage? Because his peers had just condemned Jesus to die. He's a secret follower, and, and now he becomes more public, and he boldly approaches Pilate, and he says, I, I want to take care of the body of Jesus. And so he takes Jesus' body, perhaps seen as servants, and they, they wrap it in this, the shroud that he purchases, and then they place it in a tomb. Now, the tomb that you may be thinking of, I, I always think, when I was a kid, I think of like a, a big cave, right? And there's this big cave, and then a big cave with a big hole that you go in, and the big hole has this huge boulder. That was kind of my Sunday school imagery of, of what takes place, but, but that's not what takes place. For those of you who have I had the privilege to go on our Israel trip. You know that we've seen, we saw some examples of, of tombs that people would have been laid in. And there's there, uh, these, these dug out of these, these caves. Some are existing caves. Some are dug out of the rock. And it's not a, a big entrance. It's you know, kind of an entrance this high, maybe this, this wide. And it wasn't like a big boulder that was placed in front of the entrance to the tomb. It was a kind of a circular rock. And there'd be this channel on the ground in front of the hole and the, the rock could be placed in this channel, and the channel's in an incline, so the, the stone would kind of roll in front of the, the entrance to this tomb. And the tomb area would be in this maybe one or two rooms you could place a body in as it decomposed, and then the bones would be taken out and, and placed somewhere else. But the point is, the stone, this big, large, circular rock, goes very easily in the entrance, over the entrance. And Joseph places it there. But removing the stone would require more strength, some different tools. 
some, some more manpower. And the women begin to approach the tomb, right? You see that in chapter 16. They approach the tomb, and why are they going to the tomb? The women are going to the tomb because they want to anoint the body of Jesus. Now, in this culture, there's not a process in place to embalm the body, that they're not trying to preserve the body from decay. But what they do is they would uh, anoint the body with spices to prevent the, the stench of decay and also to, to honor the body, to honor the person. And so the women begin to approach the tomb, and the text tells us that their purpose is to anoint the body, and they have a problem. Look at the text. What does the text tell you that their, their problem is? As they're on their way to the tomb, what question kind of consumes them in their grief and in their fear and in their struggle. Yeah, it's what are we going to do about that rock? Who's going to roll the stone away for us? Now, I don't want to be too hard on the women here. This is a, this is a kind thing, a loving, kind act that they're engaging in, right? The disciples are nowhere to be found. Like, if if I'm in the story, I'm with the disciples. I've fled, right? So what the women are doing is a a kind and loving thing. But what I want you to see here is that this, this journey toward the tomb is a journey of love, but we also need to understand this is also a journey of unbelief. Why is that? It's a journey of unbelief because the women are on their way to take care of a corpse because they don't believe that that Jesus has risen from the dead. Later in the story, we're going to see that they're, they're full of fear, they tremble, and as we go through the Gospel of Mark, every time we encounter fear in the Gospel of Mark, we also encounter unbelief. So fear and unbelief go together. So, for example, whenever Jesus... Uh, is talking to his disciples after he calms the waves. He says, you know, why do you, why do you fear? Why, or he says, uh, why are you afraid? Why don't you believe? Fear and unbelief go together in that story. He's talking later to the centurion who's heard that his child has died. And Jesus says, don't fear, believe. Fear and unbelief go together. And as we encounter the women in this story, we encounter women who have a perceived need. They're on their way to the tomb, and the need that they believe that they have is for someone to take care of this stone so they can move the stone away, so they can take care of Jesus' body. But this, this need that consumes their thoughts and is, is ever present before them on their way to the tomb, this need that they think that they have, this, this perceived need that they think that they have, actually reveals a deeper need, Right? It reveals that these women have a need for faith. Their perceived need reveals a deeper, more fundamental need. Now, now do you see where I'm going with this this morning? What I would suggest to you is that oftentimes your perceived need, the need that seems to be just right in front of your eyes, that need that consumes your thoughts, that consumes your, your waking moments, that the need that is maybe ever-present with you or the, the countless needs that you encounter during the day, what, what I want to suggest to you this morning is that your, 
Your perceived need may be a window into your heart that reveals a deeper need. For example, for some of you, your your perceived need may, as you think about it more deeply and you think about it biblically, your perceived need may reveal to you that you have wants and desires in your life that have become idols. So in other words, if I were to ask you, if you ask yourself, what do I need? You say, boy, I've, I've been thinking a lot about this new job that I need or this new car that I need or this, this relationship that I, I really need. And as you, as you analyze that biblically, you'll, you'll realize, you know, wait a minute. This, this isn't a need. What this is, this perceived need, is, is a, a want that I've had that may or may not be a bad thing to want. It's this desire that I've had that's, that's become this all-consuming idol. This need that I think that I have reveals a heart that, that needs, something, needs something different. Or maybe this morning, as, as you think about your needs, you'd say, you know what, as I think about my needs, what I recognize is that this need that I have is actually the fruit of some, some sin in my life. I, I've had this desire for a relationship. Maybe I'm, I'm a guy, and I've had this relationship, I have a desire for this relationship with this, this young lady, and... Um, I recognize that this relationship that I desire is not a healthy or biblical relationship. But, but I, I wanted it. I desired it, and now I, I have it, and now there's, there's conflict and, and friction, and I, neither one of us are walking the way that God would have us to walk. And I, I think this morning that I need God to, to deal with some aspect of this relationship, but really, really what I need is for God to change my heart, for me to change the things that I desire, and this, this need that I think that I have disappears because the need that, that's actually there is for, for far deeper heart change. Or maybe this morning you're, you're struggling with discouragement and, and uh, you're kind of in a very dark place and you think, well, I just need God to, to take away the darkness that I'm struggling with, the, the pressures that I'm feeling. I just need him to deal with those things. But really, that, that darkness that you're feeling, that, that heaviness, that discouragement is it's the fruit of some very sinful choices that you've made. And, and God has placed those things in your life to help you say, you know what, I need to go back to square one and, and repent, pursue God in this area, and it changes what I actually need. The need that we look at, the need that's right in front of us, can often reveal some, some heart issues that we need to deal with. I think about the story of, of Mary and Martha. Remember the story of Mary and Martha and the Gospel of, of Luke. In the Gospel of, of Luke, as Mary and Martha are there with Jesus, Martha is trying to get things ready, get the meal ready, and Mary is, is, is listening to Jesus. And in, in Luke chapter 10, it says, Martha is distracted with much serving, and she goes up to Jesus and she says, Lord, don't you care? Lord, do you not care? that my sister has left me to serve alone, tell her then to help me. Look, Jesus, I've got this, I've got this need, and, and it's all consuming, and it's, it's all that I'm thinking about, and, and you need to, to intervene in this situation so that my sister can come along, help me meet this need so we can get it done. And what does Jesus, listen to what Jesus says to her. Martha, Martha, you are anxious and you are troubled about what? Many things. 
but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Man, that really hits home for me, right? There are so many needs that I perceive that I have. I mean, I think that I need to get this to-do list checked off, and I think that I need to get this project done, and maybe that's where you are at work. You think, man, all I need to do is, is get this, this school assignment finished, and, and then things will be where I need them to be, and here's, here's what we think. Here's what we see. The, the needs that I perceive often aren't my true needs. They're things that God has placed in my life to help me recognize where my heart condition is at. And there are other needs too, and, and, and there are needs that are very profound, and, and these, are, these are genuine needs. And so, for example, there's, there's health issues, and there's, there's relational struggles, and, and, and all these things, what do they do? Real needs, or pretend needs, or imagined needs, temporal needs, all these things, what do they do? That we per- as we perceive them, they reveal there's, there's a deeper and more fundamental need that we have. And that brings us to the second thing I want us to talk about, and that is the need God meets. The need that God meets. Verse 4 is really interesting to me, right? Look what it says. It says, okay, context again, they've just, said, they've just asked the question, who's going to roll away the stone? They're anxious, they're fearful, they're troubled, they, they want to anoint the, the body of Jesus, they have this need. And in verse 4 it says, and looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. Now, there's a couple of things that are interesting to me about this. One, the need that they thought they had, God, God had already taken care of it. And the person who was in the tomb, Jesus, he didn't need the stone to be rolled away. The women didn't need the stone to be rolled away for the purposes they thought that they needed it to be rolled away for. And what is also interesting to me, and I think that many of us need to think about this very, very carefully... Once the need that they perceived that they had was met, their problems weren't over. In other words, as, as they're going to the tomb, they're, they're, they're struggling, they're fearful, they're, they're mourning, and they think, boy, we just need this stone moved away. And I'm sure there's, there's part of them that, that's thinking, boy, if, the, if this thing gets met, if this thing gets dealt with, then things will get better for us. And that's how you and I think as well. It's certainly how I think. Boy, I've got this project to do, and man, I know my heart's a little... It's wrestling right now, but once this project is done, oh, that is going to be such a weight off me, and, and then things are going to be okay. Boy, I've got this financial struggle, and, and I don't know how I'm going to get through the end of the month, but man, one, if that thing could just get settled, my heart would be so much more at peace. I've got this school project, and if I could just get this school project taken care of, after that's over, life is going to be so much easier for me. Or we have this belief, if I could just get into this, this friend group, then my, my heart issues would, would really be dealt with in a much, much more healthy way. We think this way all the time. Every month, every month, it's like we, we say there's some event on our calendar. And once we get past this event on the calendar, our hearts are going to be so much more at ease. But what happens? 
there's always another month, right? And there's always something on that month as well. Once the perceived need is met, the deeper need still remains. In fact, it's interesting what happens next, right? The angel tells them, hey, don't fear. Remember, fear and unbelief go together. Don't don't be alarmed. You're seeking Jesus of Nazareth. It's kind of an interesting phrase there too. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who is crucified. He's risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee, and there you will see him just as he told you. And the women, they don't respond the way that you'd want them to necessarily. Instead of responding with, you know, now their need's been met and, and Jesus is alive, that you think they would be excited, happy, and there's some of that, but Mark focuses on this in verse 8. They went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now, this is where I believe Mark originally ends his gospel account. There are some other verses that follow. We think those were some later additions. Maybe Mark was involved in that. Maybe some other people were involved in, in putting the things that come next. But we think this is where Mark, based on the earliest manuscripts that we have of the Gospel of Mark, we, th- we think this is where Mark ends his story. Now, why in the world would Mark end his story on, on such a note? Someday, Lord willing, we're, we're going to go through the Gospel of Mark, but let me just kind of give you a little bit of insight into how this, this Gospel plays out. There's something that happens throughout the Gospel of Mark where Jesus will tell someone, he'll heal someone or he'll do something, and he'll say, hey, uh, shh, don't, don't say anything about this when he's talking to Jews. He does this throughout the Gospel of Mark. So, for example, in, in Mark chapter 1, at the very beginning, he heals a leper. And as, as he heals the leper, he says, look, don't, don't, say, anyone, don't say anything to anyone, Okay? And then what does the leper do? He's, you know, he goes and tells everybody, right? Or um, yeah, just, just throughout the gospel, you see him telling people, look, uh, don't, don't say anything about this. Now, you come into Mark chapter, so that's the beginning of Mark. And again, he does this throughout the gospel. So, for example, you come to Mark chapter 8. And this, again, this is very interesting. Jesus says, who do the people say that I am? And they give him some examples. And then he says, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, what? You're the Christ. You're the Christ. You're the Messiah. And he says, what? Shut up. That's, that's the Greek. Be quiet. You know? Don't say anything about this. Like, now, why does he do that? Well, look at what happens right after that. He says, don't tell anyone I'm the Christ. And then he begins to teach them about the cross. He says, I've... He says, it says that he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. He said this plainly. Peter takes him aside and begins to rebuke him. Now, Peter has just said, you're the Christ. And Jesus says, yeah, that's right. Let me tell you about the cross and resurrection. And Peter says, no, 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 no. That can't be right. So here's what happens. Throughout the Gospel of Mark, Jesus doesn't want people to hear who he is and wrongly understand who he is. 
See, throughout the Gospel of Mark, people have perceived needs, and Jesus meets those perceived needs. They're sick. He heals them. They're hungry. He feeds them. They have leprosy. He heals that. They're possessed by demons. He deals with demonic oppression. But throughout the gospel, he doesn't want them to to believe on him as Christ if they don't understand who the Christ is. And so throughout the gospel, these people have perceived needs, right? There's perceived needs of of hunger or perceived needs of of spiritual oppression. There's perceived needs of of, uh, illness. And Jesus meets those needs. But they don't understand fully who he is. And then the cross comes. And on the cross, he deals with their most fundamental need. Their need for someone to deal with their sins. And then he rises from the dead. And again, throughout the gospel, what happens? Here's who I am. Here's who I am. But don't tell anyone yet. Then the cross comes. The resurrection takes place. The women hear about the resurrection. They're told to tell They're told two things. Don't be afraid and tell. And what happens in verse 8? They're afraid. And for the first time, someone keeps their mouth shut. Now, why is that? Why would Mark end on on such a, a seemingly pessimistic note? What I think that he wants us to see, and, and he, he knows that his audience is going to know how the rest of the story goes in the sense that they, they know that the women encounter Jesus and that Jesus appears to his disciples and, and so forth. But I believe that he wants his audience, he wants us to understand our ultimate need is to encounter Jesus. Our ultimate need is, is found in Jesus and in Him alone. Our ultimate need is not for Him to feed us. Our ultimate need isn't for this, this promotion to go well. Our ultimate need is, is found in Jesus, in the Christ, and, and in Him alone. And so, what do we need Jesus for? We need Jesus to, to know the truth, to understand reality. We need Jesus in order to be able to, to trust in Him. We need Jesus in order to proclaim Him to those who are doubting. And I love the, the kindness of, of what we see in, of Jesus at the end here. Remember, there's, there's Peter who's fallen away, and, and the angel says, look, tell his disciples, and especially Peter. And God's grace, and, and this is the beautiful thing about, about the Gospel of Mark, God's grace is going to be continually extended toward those whose ultimate need is Jesus and and those who don't even recognize that their ultimate need is Jesus. In Mark chapter 14, Mark 1, Jesus calls the disciples. In Mark 14, Jesus says to his disciples, you'll all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. In other words, look, your need is for me. You're not going to realize it. You're going to be scattered. But I'm going to continue to to extend my hand of grace toward you. I don't know what need it is this morning that's that's consuming you, this, this Resurrection Sunday. We all have different perceived needs, and some of them are very real and profound. Maybe some of them are not true needs. 
But, but here's the beautiful thing. Whatever perceived need we have that consumes our thoughts, that consumes our mind, that weighs down our hearts so, so heavily this morning, here's the good news. That perceived need that you have is, is a tool that God can use to point you to your deepest need, a need that he's met. A need to have your sins dealt with, your sins forgiven, so that you can enter into a relationship with God through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. And how does He meet that need? He meets it, that need in His Son, Jesus. If you're not a believer here this morning, here, here's the good news. God tells you whatever, whatever need it is that you perceive, here's your far more profound need, your need for a relationship with me, and here's how you can have that need through placing your faith in my son, Jesus Christ, who on the cross dealt not with external needs, not with superficial needs, but with that most profound need that you have, your need to have your sins forgiven by taking the penalty of your sins on himself. And in believers... What a beautiful passage this morning, right? For us to be reminded, look, I, I have many things as I come in here on, a, on an Easter Sunday. I have many things that I'm thinking about, many needs that I think that I have. And sure, some of those are real and profound, and I don't want to minimize those, but, but those are all things that allow us ultimately to say, look, as I walk out of here this morning, those other troubles still exist. I, I still don't know the result of that health exam that I took is, is yet. I, I still don't know how this financial thing is going to be dealt with. I, I still don't know how this relationship is going to be resolved. But you know what? As I walk out of here this morning, God has dealt with my most profound need, my need to be in relationship with him. And he's dealt with it through his son, Jesus. And I have Jesus. I have all that I truly need for life for happiness, for joy in God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your son Jesus, for the life that we have through our faith in him. This morning we confess to you that, that our, our hearts are often troubled, and yet we recognize that by your grace you've given us all that we need. And we pray that as we were consumed sometimes with thinking about needs, you'd cause us to think rightly about you, and about your son Jesus, about the life we have. And we pray this in his name. Amen.